I've been thinking a lot lately about a youth pastor's role in if, you know, a student comes to you and says that they're going to therapy and here's what their therapist is telling them that's been helpful and here's what hasn't. Being willing to say like, hey, why don't you give your therapist my phone number? I'd love to collaborate. Like we can do that. It felt like I never thought about that until this year and I became a therapist. I was like, I would have loved if one of my one of my clients who, you know, is really involved in their church said, hey, can my mentor call you so that we can all be on the same page of what's best for me? I think that's you just collaborating and being willing to like kind of breach that line and say, if you are OK with it, if you are willing to the student, you know, would you allow me to talk to your therapist and kind of get on the same page? Welcome to the Disciple Making Youth Ministry podcast where we talk about the calling of youth pastors to equip students for the work of making disciples, moving teens from church attenders to disciple makers. Here are your hosts, Joel Friend and Jeremy Collins. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to Disciple Making Youth Ministry. Today, we have Kaylin Clogan on the podcast, and we're talking about mental health in youth ministry. No. Today, we're talking about youth ministry and mental health. You know, it was good either way you said it. I thought that was... Yeah, we're going to leave it in there. Okay. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, well, and it's exciting to have Kaylin here. We had Sophia on last week who works with you at New Community, and today we have Kaylin here who works with me at Bakerstown. How are you doing today, Kaylin? I'm super good. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have this conversation. Um, and as we start today, we're going to be having conversations about a lot of different things in youth ministry related to mental health and we brought Kaylin on for a reason, and you're going to find that out soon as we talk through her journey, her story, and why is she someone we're having a conversation about youth ministry and mental health. I'm super excited for this. Joel, any thoughts as we begin today? No, but I did have a question, is what do you do to unwind? Mm. What do you do to, if you're like overwhelmed and stressed, so what do we, what do we go to? What's our go-to whenever... We, uh, we find our place in a place of stress or anxiety, and we as youth pastors and youth, youth workers, what do we do? What do you guys do? That's a great question. Um, I think it's a little bit different for everyone, but personally for me, it's a lot of working out. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> Definitely the physical release of some of that is necessary for me. Um, and staying in scripture and in community is big. So finding the things that fill you up and pursuing those things outside of work. Cause it can be taxing for sure. I'm um, handling the minds and the, the hearts of, uh, the youth. And so, yeah, it's definitely important to have some kind of release and those pumping of endorphins, um, of physical activity and things like that is I think paramount. Um, so that's for me. What if you're woefully out of shape? <laughs> like I can't even go up three flights of steps. It would be much harder. But... <laughs> I'm out of breath. Hey, that's exercise. Three flights of yeah, steps. Yeah, well, it's enough for the week. <laughs> I have to do it four times a week. Go ahead. Uh, for me, well, and we've talked before in the podcast, but I, I play a lot of hockey uh, two mornings a week now. I get up early and your fiance, Jeremy, is there with me. Yes, both Jeremy's. Um, we get to hang out, play some hockey. That's good. I also just enjoy being with people. I'm an extroverted person. So whether I'm talking to people or around people, that's something that recharges me. Uh, hopping on a video game late night, talking to my buddies online, stuff like that is just good. Um, and especially uh, getting up early, meditating in the word with two young kids. The times that I get up early is really the only time that it's quiet. And so uh, doing those things really help recharge and uh, yeah, that's that's what I've done. I've talked also a lot about shifting my day off to Mondays so that I can be with my family when no one has to really do much. And so that's what Mondays are to kind of a bit of a recharge. I like Mondays. Yeah. Mondays. You bring up a good point about knowing like what actually recharges you because reading a book for me won't do the same thing for another person mm -hmm. and vice versa. Same thing with exercise. It won't do the same thing for everyone and being with people. The introverted and extrovertedness is yeah. a necessary yeah. thing to think about, too. Yeah, some people just, like, need to be away from people. Yeah. It's a funny thing, especially if, like, you know, the amount of, you know, introverts that can be in youth ministry and how much social interaction that the person has, but then they reach their peak. Now, that's not me. Like, <laughs> I, I could totally, you know, hang out with students. We just came back from a weekend. I just needed, like, a day to recover my body. Mm -hmm. Like, everything else was cool. 
but like my body couldn't, I'm 35 now, I'm not 25 anymore. So <laughs> it takes me like a good day and a half of At doing least. nothing yeah. to get back into it. Uh, so to answer the original question is I clean my garage. Hmm. Uh, you want to come clean mine? No, maybe. <laughs> if I'm really stressed, maybe I will, because I hate walking into disorder when I'm already feeling disordered. Mm. I hate walking in my garage trying to get to my van, and I have to step over all this stuff. So we had a good day last week, mm. uh, and my whole family was home. So we threw up the garage doors. I pushed the cars out. I cleaned the inside of the cars. My car, not my wife's. She can clean her own car. Um, and then... Uh, and then I just, we just swept and cle- like, and now I walk through it and it just brings me such peace and joy in my life. Mm. I just, to know that there's all this other chaos elsewhere and I don't have to deal with the one that's here. Cause sometimes it, it's a stressful thing whenever I leave uh, the disorder of my home to go into the disorder of my work, but to at least come to home, some, come home to some semblance of like order is very, very satisfying for me. Also, mm. I like to hang out with people and play cards. Yeah, we do that sometimes. That's, yeah. that's a good a good time. It's a good recharger. Well, one of the other exciting things and why I'm glad Kaylin is here, uh, I've known Kaylin for a long time. Going back so to long. what, 2007? 2006? 2006, My I think. first year here, yeah. yeah. Um, as a student in our ministry, grew up in our ministry, and now is back as a leader, and we pay her. She's not volunteer in our ministry. It's great. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Never would have imagined uh, any of that. So I'll allow this question to happen. What's an embarrassing story of me that you want to share? I know what I want to share. <laughs> Maybe not what I, I should share. Is this PG-13? What's our rating? Is it A? We'll keep it PG-13. M for mature? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I feel like I have to go back to my first memory of youth oh, no. ministry here, um, which Jeremy was a, a young, what, like 22, 23, 23 fresh out of college. Totally knew what he was doing. And uh, yeah, in an effort to really um, get some kids excited about him coming on as the youth pastor, scheduled a drive-in movie night um, and was super excited about it. And for high school students. For high school students. Um, my mother, unknowingly that it was only a high school event, was like, hey, can my daughter, me in sixth grade and her friends come uh, on this on this movie? And he said, yes, didn't want to turn away a kid as his first like day as a youth pastor. So I came and the movie was Talladega Nights. Mm. Um, so I didn't quite know why everyone was laughing the whole time. <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the jokes didn't they quite did register. They talk about Jesus but... in Talladega Nights. So. <laughs> Jesus, there's a few prayer scenes, there's a few <laughs> innuendos. And man, it, there's nothing like putting on a movie in youth ministry circles and then being acutely aware of all of the jokes you didn't realize right. how inappropriate, <laughs> inappropriate they were. Wow. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, that, that was, I should have said no and said, no, this is high school. But yeah, that, that was one mistake. Live and learn. That was good. You didn't yeah. get fired, so that's good. And I came back. And she so. came back. She did. <laughs> For a long time. And I'm pretty sure that, who, who was it you brought? I don't remember. It's too long ago. Oh, um, I think she came back too. But um, yeah, that's, we make mistakes. Mistakes were made, but we're still here. <laughs> Um, it's always fun to look back at old pictures and, and memories and things like that. So a lot of great videos of you dancing to, uh, just dance and so doing bad. the slow jerk and that stuff's good too. If yeah. you want me to kind of post it somewhere for you, please don't. They're already on Facebook. <laughs> you can go find it, but, um, bad decisions at lock-ins at three in the morning is what I equate mm-hmm. that to. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, Kaylin, we're glad that you're here. Let's, let's get into a little bit. We'd love to hear just about your journey. Why, um, why are you even here to talk about mental health. Um, we're bringing on experts and people that are doing interesting things. Share us a little bit about what you're doing now and then your journey, how you got there. Sure. So um, I'd say my journey in youth ministry started actually at uh, summer camp, summer's best two weeks. Um, I was a counselor there immediately after my freshman year of college, and I was literally only 18. Looking back, just feels so young <laughs> compared mm. to what I know now. Um, but that really lit a fire in me for youth ministry. It was sweet. Um, and so after college decided I wanted to stay involved and pursue something within the local high school of where I was living. Um, and that's how eventually I ended up in a small group here back at church when I moved back home, um, and was offered the job here after volunteering for a little bit, um, 
And so that's what got me kind of roped into youth ministry and what kind of started my initial love for working with students. Um, and then I, based on some experiences with some students at Summer's Best, um, kind of got a prompting that I should consider looking into mental health, um, just encountering some really tough subjects with uh, girls that I was discipling at camp and honestly, them bringing things to me and me not knowing how to respond. And I was like, this feels like a big deficit. Like, I just have no idea what is even comforting outside of like, oh, you know, God says he loves you. And that didn't feel like it was like enough. Um, like there was more that needed to be done. Um, and so that kind of began a journey of me thinking through, um, you know, is this a path that I should follow um, and praying about it? Some very specific things had to happen in terms of other jobs I was pursuing. Um, and God was really faithful to kind of show exactly where he, sh he wanted me in that. Um, and so after probably two years after that first kind of realization that I'd like to know more about this, I pursued my master's, um, went to school while working at the church, um, doing youth ministry and just finished my degree this last August. So August of 2021. Um, and now I'm working as a full-time therapist while also working for the church. So, um, and volunteering for young life and yeah, yeah you do a lot. So I'm intertwined quite a bit. I work with a lot of students, um, within, uh, my therapy business as well. Um, and then obviously I have a lot of really good conversations with students just within youth ministry, which proved to be two really different and unique conversations, but both super beneficial. So, um, yeah, it's been a privilege to be given, um, kind of the trust by parents to kind of handle that really delicate part of a, of a kid. Good. Um, and so as you're kind of going through all of this process, summer's best two weeks, youth ministry. Um, what were your college years like in terms of uh, ministry? How were you involved in that? Because a lot of times that can be the place that derails most folks from faith, from engagement, those types of things. Yeah, I went to Allegheny College and I played lacrosse there um, and it was hard. <laughs> uh, there's not a huge Christian community at Allegheny. Um, I was already before going to college, fairly committed uh, to wanting to follow Jesus. And um, there I ended up getting involved with FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And uh, my sophomore year ended up becoming the president of the club somehow. <laughs> um, the guy stepped down and everyone was like, you should do it. And I just kind said yes. Kind of a yes. theme because that was the same in yeah. high school and ministries you were involved in. Just yeah, just kind of thrown some, into things. And some it's people good. have the it factor. That's true. Right. So um, yeah, that was kind of my main thing. And uh, I don't feel like I had a lot of people um, all the time around me who were, I, I had really good friends, but they um, weren't pushing me the way that I would have loved to, but the way I felt pushed was by trying to lead well. Um, so I started a Bible study with my mentor um, for some girls on different sports teams and uh, led just the weekly FCA meetings with fellow leaders and stuff. And it kind of forced me to think through what I actually believe and um you know, if I was legit about it, because it would have been a lot easier just to go with whatever my lacrosse team was doing, um, which was not necessarily following Jesus. So um, I was forced to make a decision. And I feel like that actually is what prompted me to stick with it was this like put in a tough spot. I can do the easy thing or the thing that's worth it. Um, and, and Jesus was really faithful to kind of work in my heart and that I can't attribute a lot of that to me. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's, College was tough, but it was definitely paramount in growing me. I needed it. Sure. And so then you get out of college, you're pursuing your master's, and now you're working as a therapist, as a youth pastor, as a young life leader, as mm -hmm. a lacrosse coach. Am I missing anything that you're... Field hockey coach. Field hockey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, There's more. It, she <laughs> yeah. does a lot. She's just as busy as Travis Deans. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's the busiest in youth ministry? I believe it. Yeah, I was thinking through the, like, because, um, you know, Jesus tells us, God tells us, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, you know, have you discovered the, like, let me back it up a little bit. I'm married to a social worker. <laughs> so the like stigma in around mental health in the church is like real. Mm -hmm. And so it's like an unfortunate thing. I've had somebody, you know, email me after I gave like a sermon on mental health and 
they were like, I didn't have a mental illness. It was an attack from a demon, right? So the, mm -hmm. you, you get those sorts of things. And so, you know, what do you think in terms of the church and even in youth ministry, you know, what was missing? What did you find was missing as you were coming in as someone with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective of learning all that you learned and then coming into youth ministry that you're like, hey, we could actually have these things available for kids or, you know, a lay person uh, to be able to help them to love the Lord their God with their mind, you know? Sure. Um, I think honestly, just bringing it up more. Okay. Even just like reflecting back on my experience in high school, um, and maybe I was blissfully unaware, but <laughs> which could be the case, but it just wasn't talked about a lot. I didn't hear of my friends going to see therapists, anything like that, and it is way more upfront now. Um, but in the church is another challenge because you know you don't want to be the kid, the church kid that comes in and says, "Oh, you know, I'm struggling to believe that God is good because I'm just sad all the time." Mm. Um, and so I think. A big thing that youth pastors, church members, whatever in general can do is um, just validating that it's hard <laughs> um, and being willing to talk about it and interact with that part of their life, too, because I think it's really easy to separate. Like, OK, I have therapy where I work on feeling better, and then I have church where I'm told that God will take care of it, and instead kind of intertwining those things. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about a youth pastor's role in um, a, if, you know, a student comes to you and says that they're going to therapy and here's what their therapist is telling them that's been helpful and here's what hasn't, um, being willing to say like, hey, why don't you give your therapist my phone number? I'd love to collaborate. Like we can do that. It felt like I never thought about that until mm -hmm. this year and I became a therapist. Um, I was like, I would have loved if one of my one of my clients um, who, you know, is really involved in their church said, hey, can my mentor call you so that we can all be on the same page of what's best for me? Um, I think that's you just collaborating and being willing to like kind of breach that line and say, if you are OK with it, if you are willing to the student, you know, would you allow me to talk to your therapist and kind of get on the same page? Yeah, That's a good thought, because I I mean, for the longest time, wasn't until maybe the last four or five years was it ever on my radar to be like, oh, like I should have like a, you know, a contact list of local counselors, yeah, mm -hmm. right? So we actually had uh, a woman who served in uh, on staff with us in student ministries for several years, but her best friend was a was a local counselor and therapist, and so we referred so many kids to her, <laughs> like you know, we're just and so even after you now, so even after you know that that staff person had moved on to somewhere else, I still have that person's contact, and so what's interesting is like, do you have a list of people? that you know you can turn to as a youth pastor should you have a moment of crisis or things of that nature. Because I think to your point, it's like we never really talked about it, so we've never thought about it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's, you know, when you have, you know, the mandated porting stuff has always been around for a long time, but until like stuff like that actually happens, I, it, everybody ends up being reactive rather than proactive. And so now before things get really bad for a kid and their mental health, what what for a youth pastor listening to this, do you have in place your proactivity uh, already there so that when a parent says, hey, my, you know, my, uh, my daughter is going through a really hard time, like what resources do you have? Can you pull from that? Because I, I think that's part of this conversation is having helpful tools and resources to be able to give to people right. uh, that when they're there. So I think that, because I think that's just been a lot truer now. And I think the reason is because we're starting to talk about it more. So that conversation's sure. coming up more. Well, and the conversation is shifting some away from this is a phase students go through right. to this is a reality they're dealing with. And it's easy to look at students and young people as they're growing up. Yeah, they change a lot in those teenage years and a lot of things shift. But that doesn't mean that everything will uh, all of a sudden click at some point and just shift into place on its own. Uh, and so I think we've gotten away from that understanding of calling things a phase, or at least I hope in the church particularly, we're starting to get away from that and to see when referrals are necessary, when help is necessary. Um, so yeah, I think awareness is big in that regard. Um, and you're right. And both of us have been in our churches for a while and I can count on one hand the amount of kids I knew who were in therapy 10 years ago. And now I'm much more aware. Mm -hmm. and, and that's more because people are willing to talk about, oh, I was at therapy or I went to a therapist. Um, I'm old enough to remember when that was really frowned upon. Mm -hmm. and I'm not mm -hmm. that old. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so it hasn't been all that long. So it's quite a shift in our culture 
to talk about these things positively. I think that's a good thing. You had something on your mind, it looked like, as I was sure. interrupting you. Her. Yeah. No, it's all good. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about, uh, Joel, what you were saying about having resources too. Um, and I think another big struggle is the difference between regular counseling and Christian counseling. Mm. Um, there's a benefit uh, to both. Um, I think that there are things that we as youth pastors are equipped to deal with, and that's the spiritual matters of like encouraging and nourishing their spirit, right? But there are some things that just require some techniques that they um, that the kids just don't quite have in their toolbox, and we don't necessarily know how to convey to them. But without recognizing that the heart of the issue is still... Um, honestly takes back to sin and like the the heart of our worth which is a big thing in teenagers right now is a lot of the stuff that they have anxiety and depression over is simply not knowing whether they're worth or having conditions of worth um so i'm only worth something if you know i get this grade or i start on this game or whatever um and so um I find that it's a struggle to convince kids that it's also important to have a Christian counselor who is able and willing to speak truth um, because the best way to fight lies is to have truth to back it up. Um, and that's a lot of what anxiety is, is fighting off lies that your mind is trying to convince you of. Um, and so being kind of open and uh, forward with parents of like, if you find that suddenly your kid is you know, withdrawing from you, you're noticing some habits come and ask us. Cause I don't even know that they'd think to ask us like, Hey, where should I send my kid? They'd be Googling and then just finding the first place has an right. opening. And so to have these resources, I think would be a big deal. Um, and, and for them to know we have the resources, uh, be upfront about that. Um, now that I'm thinking about it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. I, yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate to like you have to discover those things whenever they they happen. You're like, crap, we don't have that here. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that's the that's the way we have to learn. And hope the Lord is gracious to us to not let it be out of a catastrophic thing. But it's also like policies in place too. So it's like another question, like we've thought through is um, so the the woman that I refer our people to. Uh, who used to actually used to be a volunteer with us, um, she doesn't go to our church. And so, like, do you refer to people who are counselors in your church? Mm. That's another, you know, you, you have people who are Christians who happen to be counselors, but do you send, you know, do you send your people to them too? So it's just like, so you have to even more, you, it's easy to pick the people who are in your network, but is it better for you to try to widen the scope a little bit more to find it so it's a little bit more removed from people you might have actually had a conversation with on Friday and saw on Sunday morning? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, give me your thoughts on that. That's definitely the danger in that. Um, in school, we are taught um, that you can't have dual relationships. Dual relationships and yeah. so, you know, what they mean by that is I can't be someone's therapist and their youth pastor, or um, it even is difficult if I say I was working as a therapist in the church to see a church member, I think would actually be a little bit of a struggle if mm. I attended the church. It'd be one thing if I was like the church therapist, but I attended worship elsewhere. But there's some, with the vulnerability that comes with therapy um, and them knowing that I know the people that they go to church with or go mm -hmm. to school with or what have you, um, it, it kind of creates a little bit of a barrier for them to actually be honest and open within therapy. So um, it sounds really nice to just be like, hey, go and talk to the our local campus pastor or mm -hmm. counselor and um, you know that they're biblically sound and they have good theology and they can help uh, get to the root of the issue, the heart of the issue. Um, but it it actually ends up maybe inhibiting a little bit just based on the closeness of it. I think you're right in that part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it sounds biblical to say that the body of Christ cares for the body of Christ, but the body of Christ is bigger than just your local congregation. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I think to remember that, um, that we are all part of the body of Christ, whether it's the same congregation or larger. Yeah, that's, that's good. So what are some of the things that you've been seeing um, in youth ministry, I mean, you've been involved in youth ministry in one way or the other for a number of years. Um, and going through school recently, you're kind of on at least as cutting an edge as it can be to go through uh, all of this. What are some of the trends you've been seeing regarding students and mental health and issues? Are you seeing patterns, things emerge continually? I know we hear a lot about anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, and all of these things. Um, is that similar to what you're noticing and seeing in your experience? 
Anxiety is definitely a huge one. Um, there are all these thought patterns surrounded, like I said earlier, about conditions of worth. Um, and particularly, I, I'd say in our area, our demographic, that's really big. Um, we have some big schools around here that are super competitive, very athletic, very scholarly. And to um, to keep up with the the trend of taking, you know, six AP classes a year um, is enough to send them into a spiral mm -hmm. of thinking that I need to perform just as well as how everyone else is at least appearing to perform because it's all about appearance. We don't actually know um, what everyone is dealing with, but they think that they do based on what's put on social media, what how they even see them walking around at school. Um, so anxiety is definitely a big one. Um and I'd say a general decrease in resilience in dealing with uh, levels of hopelessness. Mm. Um, that's a, a really difficult one of this mindset of this is never going to get better. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, I think, a, a level of disconnect from the people around them. So here again is this barrier of people putting on their best front and not being real with each other. And kids are intuitive. Like they, they kind of can feel that and can know. So then suddenly they feel very alone in what they're dealing with because everyone's putting up this front that, you know, I'm, I'm getting really good grades and I'm starting on this team and yeah, life is good. And then they're at home and curled up in a ball, um, on their own at night. And so, um, this lack of disconnect, I think is a, or this, sorry, this lack of connection, I think is a big deal too. Um, where there's, the real relationships uh, that people I think were made for um, are kind of lacking, which I think is a really great place for then the church to come into and for youth group to, to provide a space for that of like, you can come and bring your full self and, and be who you are. And we're not going to try to push away your sadness, like bring it to me and I'll sit with you in it. And we'll like discover what truth uh, can kind of fight that off and we'll fight it together because people at school aren't always willing to do that because it's a man, man world out there. So I have a question then. So just as you're from your experience, because I constantly talk about how unique of a setting we have as a youth ministry, the fact that we would open mm -hmm. up our doors, you can come to a place where you can talk about your life, talk about yeah. your feelings, talk about what's going on. Kids outside of a paid therapist, have no other venue for that, okay? Yeah. So have you seen that in, have you seen that be uh, an advantage? Like, what's your experience with, you know, talking to the kid who is unchurched and the talking to the kid who is involved in a youth group? Is there any differences you see in that? Any negatives, positives, any advantages, disadvantages? Um, it's a, it's a struggle. I definitely have a, a spectrum of students in that regard, particularly in working with Young Life as well. We're in the schools and um, trying to reach the unreached kids. And then at church, theoretically, um, you have the, the church kids who grew up coming and, and knowing who Jesus is. Um, and I'd say the, the struggle to fight off those thoughts is nearly the same. Okay. The only difference is that um, in talking to a kid who already has an idea of who Jesus is and why we can trust scripture um, has kind of a stronger foundation to fall back on of, okay, if I'm believing a lie that, um, you know, if I don't get this grade, my parents are going to hate me or that I'm not worth anything, we can look back to scripture and say, well, what does it actually say about what makes you worth something? Like, does the Bible talk about your success or what even is success? Um, because that's also just a construct that that is made up in a way. Um, and so it's a different conversation with a kid who doesn't know Jesus um, because they don't necessarily have that to fall back on. Um, and our culture has fallen into this place of your truth is within you and like you can only trust yourself. Um, and you're even going to fail yourself all the time. Um, and so that's not really something that is sturdy enough to handle those questions and um, those anxious thoughts. Um, I don't know if that completely answered your question. No, no, that, but... was, that was really good. I, I, another question that popped up was like, okay, because the fact that we have biblical authority to fall back on, mm -hmm. and then you just mentioned like, well, the culture throws stuff at them too. Yeah. But what the culture throws stuff at them, it changes, you know, every year, mm -hmm. right, of what the narrative is. And so there's nothing that's um, consistent or concrete that they hold on to. We can always fall back onto the unchanging truths of scriptures for them. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was, yeah, that's an interesting thing too, is like how, where are these kids getting their resources from, too? One of our very first episodes that we have ever, uh, we've ever had, 
uh, I talked about the like um, the ba- the difference between you know what we share with them, the amount of time and the amount upload, of information, download. the up down yeah. the mm-hmm. upload rate and download rate of information is just so lopsided for our kids. So you know you know obviously you know when they're feeding off of what culture tells them, it, it becomes you know it's you know they're you know just be you and you know everything that you mentioned versus what they're going to draw from scripture. But it's so funny because when kids come back to scripture, they're like, oh yeah. Like, these are, like, unchanging truths that are, like, so wonderful. Like, I had a kid in my office last week. He's He messed up big time, and he felt like he was defined by what he did. Mm. And I said, you are not defined by what you did. You are defined by what Jesus mm. says you, or who Jesus says you are. And he's like, I know. I mean, in, in tears, right? And so it's just like, that. to your point, like, that's the kind of kid who mm-hmm. can affirm and confirm those sorts of things to be able to fall back a little bit better on those mistakes than someone who doesn't have that kind of hope uh, and that rock solid foundation than a, you know for a kid who might not have that background. Yeah, and, and that's some of the challenge difference between uh, biblical centered counseling and non biblical centered counseling. We've talked, Kayla and I have mm-hmm. talked about this a lot, in the sense of hearing therapists or hearing anecdotally from students or college students and other folks I talk to about the advice they're given by their therapist. And me sitting here going, whoa, that is so backwards. And and so I think the role of the church uh, must be to help these students find a biblical center of worldview so that even if they end up at a counselor um, who is recommended or they end there, they, they would hopefully start to see, wow, this isn't connecting. One of these isn't right. Um, and it's not necessarily our place to correct that. But I think that's where having resources and to steer them in good direction, because if they're going to a place that's telling them, just work on you, be happy with you, uh, truth is within you, all of those things we understand from scripture are empty. And eventually that's still just going to collapse on itself. And so that ultimately won't bring about the heart change that's needed. Um, And in our own group, we've seen that, right? We have Mm -hmm. a lot of kids coming from all different backgrounds. We have a very just beautiful tapestry of students in our youth ministry, very strange at times. Um, but the one thing that we try to have is in common is coming back to this foundation so that whatever whatever comes, um, one of the songs I sing with my children is a Summer's Best Two Weeks song, Don't Build Your House on the Sandy Land, um, but Build Your House on the Rock, Jesus. And so this foundation that we have gives something to weather the storms of life. And I, and I think that that's that's the hope we have to point to um, with students in crisis. However, it's very helpful when they're hearing that from the home, they're hearing that from their therapist, they're hearing that from their church. Like, we got to hit it in all those areas to help get that. You got to inform parents too. I think, that, I think that's, that's definitely part of this process as well, is I think like sometimes these parents, as, they, if they, as they've grown up, they're just kind of the like, you know, I grew up with the just push through it, like mm-hmm. this will be hard, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Now, now in hindsight, I always look when I look back, I'm like I think my dad had some mental health issues, <laughs> right? So you, you, you know, and yeah. uh, I don't know if that was necessary. Now, what's funny is like my dad. So my dad wasn't, you know, a Christian growing up in our home, and and uh, but he would listen to like Norman Vincent's Peel, Power of Positive Thinking. So he was like looking to something other mm-hmm. than now. He not, my dad would read the Bible every night, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. what he did with that but it's just very interesting and i think like parents these days i do you know are they as informed as they need to be and and I, you know i've saw you know i've seen some pretty conservative parents over the years as they've like entered into their child's pain and hurt they've just had so much education thrown at them and then they're like on board with like yes i definitely want to get you the support you need because it's a real thing it leads me to a question that i want to end to kind of close us but not now I want to end it near the end because there's so much more to be done here. But yeah, so I was just thinking through like, you know, which leads me maybe to the next question is like, all right, Kaylin, shoot us straight. What are some of the best practices for, you know, if you're a youth pastor listening to this uh, or a youth worker or a volunteer to be able to help kids in this particular area? What do you think are some of the next, a good next or first steps uh, for best practices to Doing, we've sort of talked about some, but I'd be interested in some more uh, best practices for your youth ministry to help with this piece. I would definitely say, um, and I had mentioned this earlier, but don't shy away from talking about it. You mentioned you've done a sermon on mental health. That's incredible. Um, there are so many different 
instances in the in the Bible um, of people who can relate to us in our sadness. Like right. I think about the Psalms and mm-hmm. how there are so many cries out, like "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Mm-hmm. Um, like I can name a handful of times when I felt that way. Like I just feel separated, and um, I think that there's a tendency for students to think that these can't be in the same realm. I'm not a good Christian if I am having these thoughts, or um, if I'm feeling anxious, I'm clearly not trusting God. Um, because there have been harmful things that have been said to them of, um, you know, you clearly like your faith just isn't strong enough if, Mm -hmm. or even if it's not said directly like that, that's how they're perceiving it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if you just trust God more, you'd be less sad or, um, you know, you have power in Jesus. You can go out and overcome that social anxiety just by stepping out, just trust that he'll carry you. Um, and while those have good intentions behind them, um, it's ultimately pretty invalidating when honestly what the kid wants is just to say, yeah, I see the struggle and I'm, and I'll like walk with you. I'll support you in it. Um, and I'll keep pointing you back to truth, but I'm not going to tell you that it's super simple as like saying, okay, God, I trust you. And that's that. Um, cause I think there's more to it than that. So I would say definitely being upfront with talking about like, Hey, look at these experiences. Jeremy and I have been a part of, um, an EPC youth collab project where we've taken topics, um, and are creating resources about each topic, you know, um, big hit, uh, topics like depression, anxiety, pornography, abortion, things like that. You know, what does the church think about this and how can we convey what we believe to the kids? And I wrote one on, uh, anxiety and I wrote one on depression and, um, even just having things like that on hand to hand to kids, if they bring up, um, in our happies and crappies moment at youth group that they had a really rough night the other night, like, okay, like, how can I, what can I give them to take home with them? Cause I only get two hours with them a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does it look like to check in with them and say, Hey, you, you said this on Sunday. Um, I'm just following up. How's that going? Um, so definitely say that they're not gonna always bring it to you. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to have to fish it out of them sometimes. Um, but in noticing how they react to lessons or how they engage with you, if there's a change in engagement, like being acutely aware of, I've noticed a little bit of a change in behavior and even checking in with parents, mm-hmm. like, hey, how are they doing at home? What are you noticing? Um, because they, these kids are not going to be the ones that come to you and say, hey, I really think I'm struggling with anxiety. Um, they'll joke about being anxious all the time because it's kind of a fun thing to joke about now. Um but ultimately, like what they're actually struggling with in their heart, they're not going to always bring to us. Um, so I'd say don't be afraid to ask the questions. They just kids want to go where their name is known. And so um, if we kind of are providing that space and saying, I see you and I actually want to know you, like, tell me more about who you are. They're a lot more willing to talk about it than we think that they are, um, even though it can feel scary for us to to open up that door. Well, and, and I think that building off of that, uh, something that I've seen that, that you've done well is listening to students and reading between the lines and then following up later with them, even though they might not have explicitly said something at youth mm-hmm. group, they said something and you're like, oh, that seems strange. I'm going to reach out and see what's going on. And, and so I think that we have to be, and leaders, not just us, because we can't see it all, but small group leaders and volunteers have to be detectives in some ways to really be listening to what kids are saying because they're going to be giving clues to that. Um, yeah, and, and that's partly why you, you shared that you just came back from a retreat. And that's why I think there's such value in getting away for retreats because sometimes you can't hide anymore. Mm-hmm. And so now you can enter things into the light. And if we're unwilling to ring and walk with students with this stuff into the light, it's just going to remain in that darkness and it's just going to eat away. And that's not biblical instead of coming at it. And the challenge, I guess, is, and I'll be honest, this is where I haven't done this well, is connecting this together with parents and trying to get on the same page with parents. It's when we did some of our parent-pastor conferences to sit down and talk. But I think trying to open up that dialogue is a huge step as well, um, while not breaking this confidentiality that you sometimes mm-hmm. have as a youth pastor with a student and trying to run that line. And that might be really... Uh, a tightrope and some of you listening might be walking that right now a student's shared something with you and you're not sure how to approach that with parents or if you should or how to go about it what about this so uh, let's imagine that not every youth group uh, is like jeremy's 
that has a um, a paid professional therapist in it, <laughs> and yeah. you don't have that resource sure. and a volunteer, what do you do? Yeah. Like, where do you start? Um, I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier of gathering resources. Okay. And so I think recognizing our own limitations, because uh, we are not... I am, but most youth pastors are not therapists. <laughs> um, and so, and even then it's not appropriate for me to be my yeah. students therapist. I was going to ask you about um, that. Asked. Yeah, they, I have been asked, yeah, by kids I coach and, um, and yeah, by students that they would like me to counsel them and I tell them no. Um, but knowing kind of our limitations of, okay, I'm, I'm equipped to hear about their struggles and what, um, and I can speak truth into kind of what they're experiencing, but also if they're kind of exhibiting some deficit in, in skills to be able to fight some of this stuff off, I, I am not equipped in that, nor can I provide the space for them to actually be honest about it. And so I'm reminded of, um, like retreat times when we have, you know, some of those deep talks over fire or after 20 minutes of silence, what have you, when some of this stuff tends to come out. Um, kind of having an ear for, and maybe this takes a little bit of prep work and, and research on a youth pastor's part of, um, hey, if I, you know, hear about a struggle with students, um, maybe I can reach out to them and say, you know, have you considered talking to someone about this? I'm going to support you in it, but uh, to let someone kind of help unravel all of this stuff that you are carrying, um, because we can't do that for every student either. Um that's, that's a lot for a youth pastor to say, because every kid's going to have their stuff. Um, and not every one of them is going to need therapy, but, um, knowing that if they bring something heavy to the group, um, and being willing to start that conversation of, Hey, is this impacting you and, and impairing your functioning every day? Then maybe let's talk about like who we can reach out to, um, just to help you learn some skills of how to cope with that. Well, and it comes back to uh, the Kara Powell Growing Young study from Fuller Youth Institute that talks a lot about how many adults who love Jesus are in the lives of kids. Like this becomes also an opportunity, and I don't mean that in a uh, bad way or a, a negative way, but just to say this is an opportunity to get students connected to someone more who loves Jesus uh, in another context, whether that be a counselor mm -hmm. who who is a biblical Christian counselor, and now you're putting more relationships in their life of adults who love Jesus. And so if you look at it from that perspective, it's not a, I'm insufficient here, I can't do this, but boy, is this a great opportunity to get more people into this kid's life who love Jesus and love them. Um, and from that perspective, I mean, we would all jump at that, right? If we can find more people to be in these kids' lives and have relationship. Now, the relationship between a therapist and a um, and someone like that is is different than your run-of-the-mill regular relationship, but it's still the same thing. To be able to go in and know that your therapist loves Jesus um, is a big, a big mark towards continuing in a biblical worldview as you move forward in all that. Mm -hmm. And so that that's what we've tried to do. We've had some situations in our group where we've had kids, the cops have been called and they're sent to Western Psych. And horrible things big, massive things happen. And you're right, we're reactive in that time. Instead of being uh, maybe proactive, if we'd been listening more, we might have been there with the parents. And if the parents know we're with them, um, they don't feel alone in this because that's the other side is everyone feels alone in every sphere. Uh, the student feels alone, the parents feel alone, so on and so forth. And so trying to bring those together. Um, but you're right, it's, it's about finding those moments of bringing it to the student. And I think the challenge I know for me has been when and how do we get the parents involved and how does that go about? Um, yeah. Well, it was on my drive over here. I was thinking about this was the, like, I think youth pastors, there's certain, there is, there's a certain trust level that youth pastors build with students mm -hmm. that they feel as though if these kids, or if we start telling the parents of these kids about what's going on, then they will shut down and they won't tell us anymore. So there's this fine balance too. Like for instance, like, um, you know, there, when it comes to, you know, mandated reporting, there's a definite law in place about mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But then when you get into the area of, you know, when you get into the area of self-harm, 
um, it becomes a little bit different of a ball game. And I think a kid, a kid will say like, please promise me that you'll never tell my parents about this. And they're like, I need to tell your parent, like, it's actually a helpful, wonderful thing to go through this process with them. Uh, But they're so scared of what will happen. It's like, no, 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 we want to like help you. So does your church have a policy in place for those sorts of things? We, but that's one of those things that we had to become proactive in because we ended up having to be reactive. Like, okay, here's a fun one I found out about is that whenever you have a kid who's expressed that they have had suicidal thoughts or have had like, you know, in a low point, we've had to learn to actually contact both parents, Mm. both, regardless of whether or not they're together or separated. Because we had two instances where one was um, where one was in the same home, and I brought it up in a meal with the dad. It was like, hey, you know, hey, I'm so sorry to hear about everything that's going on with blank. And he's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So that's heartbreaking. And the other was in a divorce situation, which in the time we probably should have known better, like call both. You can't trust that in that situation, communication. The, the, their communication. Yeah. And so we've learned that, and I've had, and they're really hard phone calls to make, but you have to make them because you want the parents to know that the church is the full support and that there's not one favoritism over the other, mm-hmm. where at least it'll be perceived that way. So like, yeah, I guess a question would be for a, you know, a youth pastor, what policies do you have in place whenever you have mental health issues that come up? I mean, obviously for like child abuse, sexual abuse, all those sorts of things, that's a slam dunk because it's written in law. But then you want to just be so you know, you want to be able to help a, a student the best they can, but we, and you would probably agree that parents need to be absolutely a part of that process. I mean, what have you navigated through that? It is a really fine line and um, it's hard because you want to maintain the trust. And I think the worst fear for a youth pastor is you, they confide in you and you feel it necessary to tell their parents. And now they attribute the hurt that they have of you betraying that trust to God. Um, but I always have to come back to and think about, I'd rather them be mad at me and be alive mm-hmm. than me having yes. protected, quote unquote, protected our relationship and not be alive. Um, and so, yeah, self-harm and, and suicidal ideation are definitely two of the things and, and child abuse um, where it's necessary to kind of tell the the next person, yeah. which would be parents or authorities or what have you. Um and though it's it's difficult and could potentially it certainly could potentially kind of put a, a roadblock in your relationship with them, um, but ultimately they're they're not going to know God if they're not living anymore either. So um, yeah, it's a necessary hard thing for sure. And the, ideally and hopefully, if they have come to the point where they feel comfortable telling you, "Hey, I'm having these thoughts." that likely means you have a base of relationship with them anyway. And they might be mad for a time, but if we're clear about, Hey, I can't just sit with this. I don't feel comfortable sending you home, um, knowing this information about you. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I need to tell someone else they're, they're going to be upset. Um, but ultimately having that foundation of they've come and they've known that, you know, their name and that you care about them in a way they've never felt Mm -hmm. before, um, will hopefully and ideally be enough for them to, after all is said and done, to come back and be like, I see why you did that now, and thank you. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, well, and there's been two ways that I've been have had to approach this at times. We don't necessarily have a specific policy. Um, we should. Let's write that. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> You have the, a therapist on uh, staff. With awkward. You. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we haven't needed one. Right, right, right. You're right. What should we do, Caitlin? Um but it's been a few things. One, it's been I, I usually never promise a student that I'm not going right. to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, usually what I will say is I won't bring it up until, and I'll put a parameter, and I, and I ask them, you have to go home and talk to your parents about this. And so I'm trying to get communication going. That's not every scenario, but it depends upon the student, depends upon the situation. And there have been some where a student was very upset that, I said mm-hmm. that and did that and was willing to follow up with the parent. But I think you can also take the parent out to lunch or out to coffee and ask them questions without necessarily betraying the trust of students and try to get on the same page with the parent. Um, but yeah, be very careful to not to, to promise to say, I'm not going to say anything. Um, I think that that's a, that's a recipe for um, non-clarity because there might get a time where you have to break that promise. And instead of promising that, 
work around that and say, let's talk about that. I can't promise that, but I'm here to support you and I want what's best for you. And we have to remember that discipleship is a marathon, not a sprint. And even if we're the ones that um, cause tension or problem in this child's life for a time, that eventually they will see the truth of our action as long as our motivation is pure and a desire. And now that hurts if they leave our church and leave whatever happened, that might be horrible. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think I think that you have to follow that track because if you're not, then what you're doing is you're avoiding it really for your own kind of ego and pride to you know, keep someone in the ministry. Self-preservation. Yeah. 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 And I would err away from... Um, you know, going to the parent without telling the kid that yes. you are. Yes. I think that's like the the biggest thing you can display to them that you trust them and you want them to trust you is I'm not going behind your back. I'm going to be up front um, that I'm concerned about this and I need to do something about it. Um, and I'd also say just trust your gut. More, Most of us have a, a good gut instinct of I feel uncomfortable about this and am actually a little bit fearful about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and to use that as kind of an indication to move forward. Um yeah. And the reality is that based on brain development, teenagers are more impulsive um, and they make decisions that they don't even always agree with. And when I kind of learned some of that bit of information, it made me a lot more empathetic towards some of the dumb things I was seeing kids do. I'm like, oh, I can't always help it, actually. Um, and what comes with that is um, some overwhelming emotions as they're also forming their identity. That's like the big stage of their brain from like 13 to 18 is identity formation. Um, and, and kind of learning who they are, which is why our work is so important because we're trying to steer them in a direction of your identity is outside of anything in this world. Um, and so, uh, the tension of that certainly raises feelings and emotions and with the impulsivity, they could very well be like, well, you know, never mind, I'm never coming back <laughs> because they are, they err more on the side of those impulsive things. Um, but that kind of gives us a little bit more empathy too, of, man, I really thought this kid was getting it and they went and made this dumb decision. And it's like, well, part of that's honestly their biology, <laughs> not just because they want to, or want to make poor decisions or right. anything like that. Right. Uh, I have a question. Is, or do you have any other questions that no. you want to throw? Okay. No, this is great. So here we go. Oh, I've been sitting here trying to think about this whole time about how I might <laughs> ask this question. Essentially, it's, it has to do with youth pastors and therapy mm. themselves. Mm. So I think, you know, I'm at a era and we're in a stage where I think for guys in our, and girls in our age range sure. i think it's it's nothing it's something maybe they don't entirely think about but we are in leadership positions that are subject to critique on a consistent basis mm-hmm. uh and then we can you know we're humans too mm-hmm. and i think there are ways of which like you know people view youth pastors as well i could say whatever i want to them because they're secure in christ it, that's true but you also said mean things right that that that, that hurt and and so and some of that can get racked up. I, I you know, I, I'd be interested in a survey that says how many youth pastors actually see a therapist. Uh, I don't know, you know, what advice would you give, Kaylin, to a uh, a youth pastor who's on, you know, thinking to themselves, do I see a therapist? Do I see a therapist? I don't know what to do here. I want to be in a position of leadership because what I think, and you'll probably agree with this, is I think seeing a therapist is a sign of leadership weakness for some people. Mm. And so they're they're not wanting to go. I think I fought it for a while with that, but then I went and I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. This is actually really helpful. I, instead of talking to my wife all day long, you know, as my free therapist, as she, you know, you know, she can be, you know, she can help me with some stuff, but like having a conversation with somebody else who's, you know, also an expert in that area, I think is also good. So what what would you give to some youth pastors who may be on the fence about their own counseling? There's certainly a stigma surrounding it still. Um, I actually think that the teenagers do a better job at being comfortable with it (laughs) than we do. Um, And yeah, I think you're right in that there is kind of this image that if you are in therapy, then you must not have it together. And how could you be a leader? Um, And we fear that people will think that if they find out Um, when therapy in essence is just vulnerability and vulnerability requires more strength than most things in life. Um, and so actually a willingness to 
look at ourselves and analyze our habits and our experiences and what is stressing us out too requires a deep level of vulnerability of I'm going to lay this out in front of you because some of it's going to be decisions I'm not proud of either. Um, but the reality of being a youth pastor is as we're trying to lead these kids, um, we also are bringing the weight of our experiences into the room. And so it can only benefit your students for you to go and and work through some of your experiences and the things that are, are weighty in your life um, and a little bit difficult to work through on your own um, for you to be more free and less um, and, and have less of a lens when looking at, at kids, um, particularly because we, we can get sensitive without realizing it over things that we've experienced um, and it can cloud kind of our ability to um, speak to them from a clear scripture-based standpoint because we allow our emotions in the midst of it too. Um, and so I think therapy is for everyone personally, regardless of if you feel like you are clinically um, struggling with something like depression or anxiety or what have you. Um, actually, funny enough, I literally just scheduled my first therapy appointment this morning or am on waiting for a call back. Um it's been tough to uh, find time to be able <laughs> right. to make that work. I finally have a moment to breathe, so I'm doing it. Um, but they always say for therapists that it's important for you to be on the other side of the chair too and kind of experience what they experience. Um, and I think that can be beneficial as youth pastors too Of as we're asking questions and asking kids to trust us with their lives, like us experience what it's like for someone to ask, can you trust me with your life and your information? Um, there's a lot of benefit to that too. And experiencing the amount of strength and vulnerability it takes for a kid to bring some of this stuff to us and how they probably thought for weeks over whether they're going to tell us about this event or this struggle um, and finally got the courage to say it. And now on the flip side, we can kind of see what that's like too. So I think it can only improve our empathy towards kids, if not also uh make you a lot healthier um, right. in how you deal with situations and cope with stress and even recognizing maladaptive uh, coping skills. I'd say a big one probably for people in a position like ours is throwing ourselves even deeper into um, helping and being there for kids to an extent where it's exhausting because we don't want to go and deal with our own stuff. So let me just fill up my schedule under the guise of uh, loving and serving Jesus. Um that's a really easy one, I think, for for us to kind of get wrapped up in, and that's not always the healthiest. Um, and so you can discover things like that as you kind of are willing to open up and talk about and have someone else be like, well, wait, tell me about the function of why you do that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really cool thing. Well, and it also gets back to this idea of if, if we're going to be people that want to understand and know resources to help families us understanding how therapy works mm -hmm. and even mm -hmm. some of the therapists in our area. I'm not saying you go around and speed date therapists, but <laughs> um, I mean, it, th that's a good thing. Um, Have one session yeah, with yeah, 10 one. therapists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just test everybody out. Um, <laughs> but you're right, Joel, that oftentimes it's not until uh, everything breaks in leadership that we as leaders will finally say, hey, now we need help. Um, and by then it's too late. Um, and there's, there's a lot of damage that we can do unintentionally in the church uh, if we're not careful of how we lead. Uh, scripture is very clear that we who teach and lead will be judged more harshly mm -hmm. than others. Um, and for us to be ignorant of our own mental health in that can also lead to great trauma and damage. And much, unfortunately, of what I see in our world today as deconstruction and church trauma has come from, I think, narcissistic leaders who thought they could do everything without mm -hmm. any help. Um, and usually that ends in tragedy. We even yeah. see that in scripture too. So yeah, I, I think seeking that out, if, if you're someone listening today and you're still here, I mean, I think we could keep talking. I know we could. Um, this yeah. has been fantastic. This has been awesome. I mean, Thank you so much. Yeah, um, I can't absolutely. wait to edit Thanks this episode and go back and listen to it again. I have a. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna wager a bet of nothing, but um, just to say I was right, as I think this will be our most downloaded episode. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and it should be because no. this is such a uh, not just a hot topic issue, but one that we still are learning. Mm. Like we have not even scratch the surface necessarily of what's possible. Um, and we'd love to hear some of the things from you out there. I say this every episode and we still haven't gotten an email, but maybe we will <laughs> on this is 
Um, Just give him Kalen's email. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll help Ask at FPCB, <laughs> the one that you don't open. <laughs> have not been able to access that email yeah, yet in my yeah. three years on staff. <laughs> we don't even know. Yeah. We get it. It's in the Bolton every week, though, so no worries. Someone's emailing you. Um, but yeah, it, do reach out to us on the socials, on the website. Uh, if you're someone who has a question or has found ways to do this, we're always open to learning more and knowing more. Thank you, Kaylin, so much yeah, thank thank you for you. being here. This, um, I mean, just to carve out an hour and 20 minutes in your schedule is, is insane um, as everything goes, and we appreciate your time. Friends, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope and pray that you've been blessed by this conversation. Follow us everywhere that you can, um, and please, if you think this has helped you as you've listened to it, share this episode with somebody else um, because you just don't know that this might be impactful in their life as well. Thank you again. We'll catch you on the next one. Have a blessed day. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Disciple Making Youth Ministry Podcast. We sure do hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe wherever it is you consume your podcast. We hope you have been encouraged by what you have heard and you're ready to jump into the hard work of disciple making. Catch you on the next one.